Ooh, amen. Amen. Well, that was good all the way around. Thank you, guys. That was, that was wonderful. I heard about a, a young man, and he had the opportunity to speak to, to speak to God. And so he was speaking to God, and he said, God, in heaven, how long is a thousand years? And God responded and said, a thousand years on heaven is like just a second on earth. And the man thought for a second, and he said, God, in heaven, how much is a million dollars? And God responded, and he said, in heaven, a million dollars is just like a penny on earth. Young man thought for a moment. He said, God, could I have just a penny? And the Lord responded, in just a second. <laughs> I heard another, about another couple. They were, they'd been married for years and years and years, and they shared a birthday. And so both of them were celebrating their 60th birthday. All of a sudden, an angel appeared before them, and the angel told them that they were given the opportunity to make one request, and God would grant that request. The lady thought for a moment, and then she said, I know exactly what I want. I want to travel all over the world and see all the beauties that the world has. Poof, there was smoke, and the smoke began to clear, and the lady was standing, and she held tickets to take her all over the world. The man thought to himself for a moment. He looked at his wife, and then he looked back to the angel, and in a real low, sly voice, he said, I would like to be married to a woman who is 30 years younger than I am. And that moment, there was smoke, and the smoke began to clear, and all of a sudden, the man was 90 years old. <laughs> Sometimes, life does not go the way that we intend. There are times in life that we look around and we, we question, God, how did I get in this situation? God, this does not make sense. God, if you are all-powerful, if you are in control, I really don't understand why this is happening in my life. Two weeks ago, on a Sunday evening, we began a study in John chapter 11. Go ahead and open to John chapter 11. We're going to finish it this morning and tonight. It is the miracle of Lazarus. John chapter 11, and go ahead and find just verse 1, if you would, please. John 11, and let me set the stage, if you will. The Bible says, now, a certain man was ill, and it was Lazarus of Bethany. A man is sick. He's got this sickness upon his life, and it seems to be very serious. It's not just any family. This is the friends of Jesus. Lazarus and Mary and Martha, they are close friends with Jesus, and so when Mary and Martha see that their brother is, is very sick, very ill, they send word to Jesus. He's sick, but that's okay because Jesus is the healer. And so they send word to Jesus. The Bible says the messenger found Jesus, and the message was very short. The message was simply this, Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. That was it. It didn't name Lazarus. It didn't say what was wrong with him. It was simply, Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. 
Now, the sisters would have expected that immediately Jesus would make his journey back to Bethany to heal Lazarus. But that is not what Jesus does. Jesus sends message back, and he says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then the Bible says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And because he loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, when he had heard that Jesus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, some of y'all that were here two weeks ago say, I wish I could have got the summarized version because that is the summary of the message. Lazarus is ill and the family is waiting on Jesus to come. In the book of John, this is the seventh and the climax of the miracles. This miracle is not about Lazarus. It's not about Mary. It's not about Martha. It's not about the disciples. And it's not about the crowd of people. The, the miracle is about Jesus. It's a powerful reminder of the goodness of God, and it is relatable to every one of us because every one of us in here, we go through difficult times, don't we? We go through tough times. We go through tragedies. We go through times that we look around and we ask ourselves, how did I get in this situation? As we look at John chapter 11, I believe there are three words that come up over and over and over again. Love, death, and the glory of God. As you look at the chapter, you will see time and time again, love, death, and the glory of God. So this morning, we're going to walk through picking up in verse 21 of the text, and there's three things I want to show you this morning. The first one is God in a box. Number one, God in a box. Look at verse 21. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She says, Lord, if only you had come. And her remark is probably a remark of regret and not a remark of rebuke. It may very well echo what Mary and Martha had said to each other over the last days. Mary, we should have sent for Jesus sooner. If Jesus had been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Do you ever play the self-blame game? If only I would not have done this, or if only I would have done this. And so it's very likely that they are blaming themselves and they are beating themselves up saying, if only we would have acted sooner, then Jesus would come and Lazarus would not be dead. I want you to notice that in her statement in verse 21, she does not ask Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. Instead, she said, you could have done it, but the implication is that it is too late now. Jesus, you could have healed Lazarus, but now it is too late. 
In other words, she believes that Jesus has missed his opportunity. And I would say that Martha has placed God inside a box and limited the amount of power that he has. You see, when you look at it, Martha believes that Jesus could have healed Lazarus, but there's nothing in her mind, nothing that she says in this moment that leads us to believe that Jesus is now able to raise him from the dead. She said, if only I would have sent word sooner. Lord, if only you would have come sooner, but now we're at a time and a position and there is no hope. God, you are powerful, but your power is limited. And I just wonder this morning, are there areas in our life that we have placed God inside a box? We believe that God could have worked, but now too much time has gone by and we have lost all hope. It used to be a hope-filled situation, but now it is a hopeless situation. You say, well, give me an example. What are you talking about? It could be that you're sitting in here this morning and you have got a broken relationship in your life. A broken relationship with a son, with a daughter, a broken relationship with a mother or a father, a brother, a sister, a friend, a coworker, and it hurts this morning. It hurts you that that relationship is broken. And there was a time, a long time ago, when it was just broken that you would pray about it. You would seek the heart of God because you wanted reconciliation. But now, that was a long time ago. And so now you have lost hope that God could intervene in this situation. You have placed God inside a box. Or it could be that you look at your life and you believe that God has placed a great dream in your heart. A great dream. And it used to be that you pray that God would use you in a special and in a great way, but time has passed, and now you believe that that dream is done and that dream is over, and therefore you have placed God inside of a box. It could be an illness, a disease, a depression, anything that you struggle with, and you have had it for so long, you have lost your faith in the power of God. It could be a financial miracle, or it could be a loved one who is lost and they're living in rebellion to God and it used to be that you would come to an altar and you would pray and you would seek God but as we sit here this morning it has been a long time since you have taken the matter to God you have come to the point that your current circumstance is your permanent reality and the reason why is because we limit the power of God. You have lost hope. Luke 18, it talks about the persistent widow. It, it talks about those who cry to him day and night. Church, what we should be is a people that constantly go before God with our request. I'm reminded there's a, there's a lady that I have prayed with over the same situation for the last 12 years. For the last 12 years, we pray together every two or three months. This lady has a, a son that is living in rebellion, 
not, not living a life that honors God, and it breaks this mother's heart. And so every few months, we will pray together. And do you know what's interesting? Every time we pray, I pray the same prayer. It's always the same prayer. Lord, would you do something in this situation? Lord, there is a mother who loves her son. There is a son who is not living a life that honors you. But God, we trust you. We trust that you have a good plan, and we trust that you can work a mighty situation. Lord, we're praying in faith that you will do it. Amen. Three months later, we'll pray the same prayer. And that has gone on for one year, five years, ten years, twelve years we've done that. Now, most people would quit praying. Most people would lose hope. But this mama is not going to lose hope. She's going to keep on praying because she believes in the power of God. I'm reminded in my own life, many of you know that my wife is pregnant. And two weeks from tomorrow, we're going to have a little girl. That's going to be a, a, a big life change. Now, now, a little bit of the backstory. A little bit of the backstory. My wife, we have, we have twin boys, and they are now seven and a half. My wife has had a dream to have another child for the last five or six years. And as you can imagine, that has led to many conversations. We have talked about it throughout the years many, many times. And at first, I said, maybe it's just not a good time. Maybe down the road. And then I got to the point that I was like, maybe I, I'm just good to be a family of four. We've got the boys. Life is getting easier. You know, life is tough with little ones. I mean, it is just hard. They, ah, it's just, it's tough. And so as they got older, man, life got easy. And it's like, oh, I love it. This is awesome. And so the thought to going back, it was like, I'm not so sure I want to do that. And so I, I remember it was a few years ago, and we were talking about it, like we often did. And she said, I'm praying that either God would take the desire out of my heart or he would put the desire in your heart. I said, okay, baby, you keep praying. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> can't argue with that. You just keep praying. And, and I was thinking that I'm good. She'll, she'll, her heart will change and everything will be good. Well, she kept praying. You gotta love when somebody keeps on praying. She kept praying and praying and praying. And I felt my heart beginning to change slowly but surely. Now, it never got to where hers was. I was never just totally on the other side. But my heart began to change. And, and I remember we, we spoke and I said, baby, if, if this is God's will, I want to give it a shot. And so I said, we can, we can just try, but not for long. And uh, well, she got pregnant very quickly. <laughs> but here, here's the deal. I, I believe that is because she had a desire and a dream in her heart and she didn't quit praying. And she took it to the Lord. She was honest. Lord, if this is not your will, I pray you'll take the desire out of my heart. But if it is your will, I pray you will put the desire in Casey's heart. And can I just tell you, I am thankful for that. I can just imagine the blessings that I would have missed had my wife not continued to pray. I'm a little scared about it. I'm a little nervous about it. I'm going to lose a lot of sleep over it, but I'm excited. And it comes because she had a dream and she didn't give up on it. What am I saying? Here's my point. When God has placed something on you, God has burdened your heart with something. God has given you a burden for someone who is lost. 
God has given you a burden about an illness or a disease or a sickness. Or God has given you a burden about a broken relationship. And maybe it has gone on for six months, a year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. My point is this. Don't give up on God. Do not put God in a box and say, well, if God was going to do something, he would have already done it. When you do that, you limit the power of God. And so Martha, Martha says this, Lord, if you would have been here, you could have done something. But now, now it's too late. Let's continue in the text. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This is real simple. Your brother will rise again. And this can be seen as words of comfort. It appeals to the Jewish belief of the end time resurrection. Lazarus would enjoy eternal life. And Martha hears this and her thought goes to the future. And she's thinking Jesus is just saying something nice. You know how we do that? Sometimes? We just say something nice. You don't know what to say, so you just say something nice. It's just a, a nicety that you put out there. And so she's thinking that he's just being nice, but there's no power to it because she has put God inside a box. It's one of those things. How often do we do this? Somebody's hurting and you say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Do you ever walk away from that and you forget to pray? I've done that. Have you ever done that? You walk away from it and you forget to pray. And I'm convinced many times the reason we forget to pray is because we have limited the power of God and we believe there's no point to it. Or maybe you have a burden on your life and so you ask people to pray, but you really don't think it's going to change anything because we have limited the power of God. And so Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She is looking to the future because she has given up hope on the present. It becomes too easy to put God in a box. And once we have placed him in a box, it is hard to see him in any other way. She sees no reality where Jesus will intervene. Let's continue. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. She's thinking in the future. She's thinking in the abstract, but he says, it's not that he will rise. I am the resurrection and I am the life. If there is going to be resurrection, it's going to be through me. If there's going to be life, it is going to be through me. I'm not talking about a future tense. I'm talking about right now. Right now, if you want life, he's here to offer you abundant life. If you want the life worth living, it will only come through Jesus. He does not say, I offer life. He does not say, I offer resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And if you want that, you've got to be attached to me. For those of us who believe in Jesus, we will enjoy the confidence and the power over death that is known only through Jesus. We will enjoy the abundant life that comes only through Jesus. What Jesus wants is for Martha's faith to be strengthened, to where her faith is not abstract, it's not out there somewhere, but that her faith is 
personal. And I believe what the Lord wants out of us is that our faith would be personal. Our faith is not just something that was passed down from our grandparents and our parents, and now we have it and our children have it. Our faith is not just something we read about. It's not something that we just study about. But our faith is personal because we have seen the power of God in our lives. Our faith is something that we can hold on to and not just look toward. It's a relationship. I remember when, when Brittany and I started dating. I was, I was in a ninth grade and she was in 11th grade. That was pretty cool. Here was some of my, some of my ambition was this, and young people, you'll know this. When you turn 15, you get a learner's permit, okay? You cannot drive unless you're in the car with an adult. She was just about to turn 18. And so I'm 15, and I've got my learner's permit. How cool to be able to drive your date around because she is now an adult, and you're in the car. It, it, it really worked out pretty well. But I remember I was, I was a freshman, so I was in the freshman hallway, and her classes was way over here in the junior hallway. I remember that bell would ring. Some of y'all did the same thing. That bell would ring, and I would go as quickly from my classroom area to her classroom area. I would run. I'd be winded. And then right when I got close, I'd try to look cool and just kind of walking by. <laughs> and then she'd be coming out. Oh, well, hey, how are you doing? And we would walk together. I just want to get to know her. I wanted to know her deeper. And so we'd walk together. We'd start talking a little bit. And then we'd be at her class, and she would go in. And I had 20 seconds to get back to my class, and it's way back over here. And so I'd run as quickly as I could. Every time the bell would ring, that would be my cycle. That's what I would do. Why? Because I wanted to know her on a deeper level. I, I knew about her. I knew the things she liked. I knew she liked to play volleyball. I knew where she went to church. I knew some things about her, but that wasn't enough. I wanted to know her personally. That's the picture here. It's not this abstract knowledge that one day there will be resurrection. It is the truth that he is the resurrection. Your life was dead, but he brought life to it. It is the truth that you are to live a life of abundance because of the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on and he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Of course, he's not talking of a physical death. Lazarus was already dead. Since then, millions of believers have died, but he's talking in the eternal sense. He already said of Lazarus that death is nothing more than a nap. Death is just a sleep for the child of God. And then he asked the question. He said, do you believe this? That's the question for every one of us. Do you believe this? In other words, he says, is your faith able to grow? Is your faith able to grow from this abstract faith to this personal, deep, committed, real, genuine, authentic faith? He says, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe what I'm telling you? Can you buy into what I'm telling you? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming back into the world. Let's keep reading. We've got to move quickly. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place with Martha, where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? It's more of the same, isn't it? Mary comes out. She says the same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you would have been here, everything would have been okay. Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Lord, if you would have been here, she is putting the Lord in a box. Putting God inside a box is not an anomaly. It is the norm. And so I want to ask you this this morning. In what ways have you placed God inside your little box and limited the power that he's capable of? In what ways have you been like Mary and Martha and said, Lord, you could have done this, but I don't believe it anymore. Lord, the situation is too far gone. The relationship is too broken. My dream is too distant. God, there's too much stuff that's way out here. I don't even believe that you will intervene any longer. Is there someone you quit praying for? Is there something that you have quit taking to the Lord? Is there a way that you have placed God inside a box? Number two, I want to show you the God of sorrows. We said something about the God in the box. Let me show you the God of sorrows. Look at verse 33. <clears throat> And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. They're weeping, but what's interesting, in this day they would not weep in a quiet manner. In fact, they would even pay professional mourners, professional mourners, they would pay them to come in and to weep. They would pay people to come into a funeral, to come into a time of death, and they would weep, and they would wail, and they would sob, and they would carry on to the top of their lungs. And so here we see Mary and Martha weeping. Notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not come to Martha and say, Martha, if you had believed in the resurrection, why are you wasting your time in tears? He didn't say that. He didn't come to Mary and say, Mary, if your faith was victorious, you would not be sad right now. Sometimes we get this super religion suit on and we pretend that we cannot be real with our emotions. They're sad. Death is sad. Death is tragic. Death was never the original plan of God. It's okay to be sad about death. It's okay to be sad about tragedy. Jesus comes in, and what he does is he does not impend their grieving, but instead he joins their grieving. It says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He was deeply moved. We, we read that, and we think that Jesus is sad also. You know what the word in the original language means? It, it talks about uh, literally the snorting of a horse. When a horse is angry, the snorting of a horse when it's used for, for humanity, just about always is used for an a intense anger. It says that Jesus was angry and he was troubled. 
He's watching the scene. He's watching death and the effects of death. He's watching the brokenness of the people. He's listening to the chaos as they are screaming and they are hollering and they are wailing and he is troubled in his spirit. And the Bible says that he is angry. He is angry at death and the devastation that death brings. He's angry at sin and the chaos that sin brings in our life. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. Why is he weeping? He's weeping in sympathy for the ones he loved who were grieving. He's weeping for all the people who grieve over the death of loved ones. He's weeping over the frailty of life and the effects of sin and despair. He wept in anger over those present who remain in their unbelief, and he knows they will not place their trust in him. He weeps in sorrow because he's going to have to call Lazarus back, and Lazarus is going to have to die all over again. And so as he is in this scene, Jesus weeps, and he sees the effects of sin all around him. Luke 19 talks about Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem, and he weeps. He weeps because they are making poor decisions. I wonder if the Lord has wept over my life. I wonder if the Lord has wept over your life. You know, the Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many times I have grieved the Spirit of God. I wonder how many times tears have been shed because I made a decision that did not honor God. Or I, I gave in to a temptation, I chose sin, and it brought destruction to my life. When I have hurt someone, when you have hurt someone, when we, we live a life that has no purpose and no real meaning, and we live a life outside of the will of God. You'll notice there's two different words in the Greek of their weeping. The crowd is weeping in this loud, extravagant weeping. Jesus is weeping, and the word means he's weeping quietly. He's weeping here quietly to himself. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? They look at Jesus and they see the emotions. They see the compassion, the indignation, the sorrow, the anger. The Greek gods of this day were thought to have no emotions. They had no empathy towards mankind. Can I just remind you that we serve a God who loves us? We serve a God and he cares for you. We serve a God who will weep over you. We serve a God who will rejoice over you. We serve a God who has come not just to give you life, but to give you abundant life. Not to just give you a good time, but to give you peace and to give you joy. We serve a God who wants to be plugged into your life. We serve a God who wants a genuine and intimate relationship with you. Verse 38. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone." And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. He's been dead four days. Decomposition has set in. She says, Lord, 
if you move that stone, it's not going to smell good. Lord, if you remove that stone, he is going to stink. The Jewish tradition in this day would be to go back and see the body after three days. The reason to make sure that the body was still dead. So she had probably been there the day before, and so she's speaking from experience. She says, Lord, you don't want to move that stone. Lord, you don't want to go into this place. It's not pretty. I've been here. Trust me. Don't open the rock up, God. Don't, don't go in. It is, it's not worth it. And John's pointing this out because this is not a resuscitation. He's dead. Lazarus is truly dead. He's been dead for a long time. His body is starting to decay. It's starting to rot. I mean, he is as dead as dead can be. And that is what John is pointing out to us. Lazarus is dead. And we have seen the God of sorrow. Lastly, let me show you this. We saw the God placed in a box. We saw the God of sorrow. Now let's look at the God of power. The God of power. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The whole thing's about the glory of God. Remember when Jesus first found out about Lazarus? He said he will not die, but God will be glorified. The whole thing has been about the glory of God. God will be glorified because it will be a sign of his greatness and the disciples will see it, the crowds will see it, Mary will see it, Martha will see it, the Jews will see it, and so people will see this and they will glorify God. I love it that the whole intent is that God will be glorified. And so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Do you catch? This is not the first time Jesus prayed for Lazarus. Uh, earlier, we said that he waited two days before he began his journey. He was praying in those two days. Uh, there are times in life that we feel that God ought to be here and he's not. Trust that God is working. Even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it, even when time seems to move on so slowly, trust that God is working. And when he had said these things, look at the power of God, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. You know why he had to say Lazarus? You've probably heard this, haven't you? He had to say Lazarus, because if he would not have said Lazarus, all the dead would have been given up. That is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to specify, Lazarus, come out of this grave. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. The power of God. The power of God is so great that he can go to a man who has been dead for four days, a man whose body has already began to decompose, a man who is proven dead, and he can say, Lazarus, come out, and immediately, Lazarus comes out. I want to tell you, my friend, there is nothing that is too great for God. There is nothing that you're facing that is too great for God. And the reality is, 
Despite how we might do it, there's nothing that we can do to place the power of God inside a box. God is larger than any box that we could ever create. And so the question is the same question Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe in the power of God? The God of sorrow reminds us that God loves you. Do you know that? Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that if you're here this morning and you're lost, you don't have a genuine relationship with the Lord? You know that he died for you on Calvary? He shed his blood for you because he loves you so much. And it may be in your life that you've never experienced his power because you're not one of his children. Listen, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. If you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you to salvation, please don't put it off. Please don't walk out of here the same. Please don't think in your mind, maybe next week or maybe next time. There may not be next week. There may not be next time. Just as the God of sorrow was weeping at the devastation in this family, he longs for you. He longs for a relationship with you. The God of sorrow reminds us that no matter what we're going through, God has not left you or abandoned you. You know what Mary and Martha believed? They believed that Jesus had missed his chance. But the God of sorrow reminds us that God is working in and amongst us. Now the second thing, the God in a box. What is it that you have quit praying for? What is it that you have lost all hope concerning? Is there a relationship? Is there a lost son, a lost daughter, a lost parent? Someone that you know if they were to die right now, they would spend eternity separated from God. How are we not broken over that? Don't you believe that God can intervene, that God can work in that situation? Listen, I'm going to ask you. Here in a moment, we're going to have the invitation why don't we come to an altar and pray about those folks? You've got a son that's lost? That's a, a daddy. How can we not pray for our, our children? You've got a daughter. You've got a parent. You've got a relationship, and there's no reconciliation. It's broken, and it's been broken for a long time. Don't you think that God can intervene and that God can work a miracle? We serve the God of power, and he can do anything. No matter what you're facing, God can handle it. You say, I don't get it all. You don't have to. I don't get it all either. I don't understand it. I don't know enough. Who does? It's not about you. It's about who he is. And so what we see in Luke 11 is we see a picture of God. We see that God loves us, and we see that God is the God of power. Let me ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. The Bible says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That is the question that every one of us have to answer. It's been laid out to you this, this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe in the power of God or do you not? Do you believe in the power of God 
or have you limited who he is? Take just a moment. Ask God what he wants out of your life. Take a moment and ask God to show you ways that you have placed him inside of a box. Ask God to give you a burden for a loved one who is lost. To give you a burden for a relationship that is broken. Do you believe it? Will you pray about it? Will you seek the face of God? The altars will be open. You're welcome to come and to take a step in faith and to give it to the Lord. Maybe you're here and you've never had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is leading you. He's drawing you. Do you believe? Are you going to answer or will you just kick it off to another week and hope you have next week? And then you'll kick it off again and hope you have the next week. And before you know it, you'll turn around and you still have no relationship with God. Do you believe? I pray that you will just do what the Lord leads you to. If you need a church home, we'd love to have you. If you need to pray, we're here to pray for you. If you need to make a decision, we'd love to help you with that. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you get involved in our life. Lord, we thank you for your great and your mighty power. And Lord, we're sorry for the times that we have placed you in a box, that we lose hope and we believe you're not working. Lord, thank you for always working on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.